Uh, Todd Dick is a missionary. Uh, we've been supporting him for 15 years. I've known him for 16, 17 in there. And uh, we went to seminary together. Um, he was a lot smarter than I was, but uh, I'm a lot taller than he is. Um, and, yeah, something like that. So we're just so thankful to have him. He's going to share about Croatia a little bit uh, and challenge us as a congregation as well. Uh, his wife and kids aren't here with us today. And you'd be super impressed with him if they were, um, or more impressed, I should say. Uh, but we're just grateful to have you with us today, Todd. Thank you. Dobro jutro svima vama, Boži blagoslov i drago mi je da mogu biti ovdje s vama. I budemo otvorili svoje Biblije danas i proočavamo Evanđelje po Matiju. I ja vjerujem da će biti vama veliko ohrabrenje i mi samo tražimo Božju slavu u tome. That's a perhaps a normal greeting that we would give in churches in Croatia and I need to give you greetings from our church in Mursko Središće in Croatia. Um, they're praying for you, they're praying for me and uh, they, they wish they could be here with us today. My family also wishes they could be here today and Kevin is right, they're the best thing other than salvation, best thing that's ever happened in my life. Kevin and I both know how wise it is to marry up and um, it's a blessing to have been able to do that in my life. And I commend that to every young man out there. Marry up, okay? Um, it's, it's a wonderful blessing. I have three beautiful children. I didn't even mention their names in the first service. Seth, Abigail, and Hannah. Seth will be 14 soon. Hannah will be 11 in May. And then Abigail will be 13 in September. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't mention it. Uh, they were all born in Croatia. They speak Croatian fluently. They go to public school there. They're the light of my life. They're the happiest kids I know. And um, I have a happy family. And it's a pleasure to have them in my life. And I thank God daily for their, their joy and their blessing that they bring me. So next year, they'll be here with me. We, uh, I am your missionary. We are your missionaries. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for 15 years of faithfulness, 15 years of prayer, support, love, and uh, Bear Valley is one of those special churches that is faithful in good times and bad times, lean times and, and, and times of uh, prosperity. And so anyway, we just want to thank you guys, seriously, from the bottom of my heart. And we strive to do what you would do in uh, Croatia. I was reading the bulletin, and I just think that's a great, three great goals. Shepherd souls, rescue families, and be gracious. And that is our hearts. That's what we want to do. That's what we're trying to do. Um, of course, sadly, in the 21st century, families are left by the wayside. And it's the same thing that's true here is true there. And again, it's not a contest. That would be gruesome. But I think it's Croatia is where America's heading. So we're 20 years down the road from you guys and the lostness of families and the secularism and the paganism that's overtaking the world. Um, you know, I told Kevin, what I want to do today is, or, is just try to give you some insight into our lives so that you can pray for us, so that you can maybe understand us. And the last thing I'm doing is seeking sympathy because I couldn't be happier to be a missionary. It's the greatest adventure of, of my life. I would trade it for nothing. We've made that step, and it's been scary. It's been filled with disappointment. It's filled with discouragement, filled with regret sometimes to some degree. 
but it's the greatest adventure of my life. So I'm not asking for sympathy, and I'm not trying to compare countries or anything like that, but I just want to give you an insight into what, what we do and how it looks. Uh, you sent us out. We were sent out from Grace Church, but, but you support us for 15 years, and we went out with two goals. Train leaders, pastors for churches, and plant churches. So evangelism, planting churches, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and training others to do it. And so now we have have a four-year Bible school, and we've had that school for almost 14 years now. We, uh, I've been a part of two church plants, and uh, we've sent other men out to do church planting. We have graduated. Now, the numbers are not great, but in a minute you'll see maybe what that means. We've graduated uh, 14 guys, and our team has, we're three, so that's 17. We have five students today. And when you put that into perspective, in the country of Croatia, basically it's, it's 98% Roman Catholic, but let's just say it's Roman Catholic because I don't know anybody that's not Roman Catholic. Um, we have 40 Baptist churches, 20 Pentecostal churches in the entire nation. Well, that means we have 50, we're influencing 50%, almost 50% of the churches in Croatia. It's 0.01% evangelical Christians. What that literally means is you can drive for two or three hours, go town to town to town to town, and know that there's not one believer in that town. There's not one church. That means that here you know a school teacher that's a Christian, or you know the guy that pumps the gas down there that's a Christian, or the, the grandmother that lives on your street that prays for your children because she's a Christian. You know that there's a believer that works in the restaurant down the road, or whatever. That doesn't happen in Croatia. We don't know any other believers. That's what darkness means. That means they've never seen what a godly grandparent looks like, what a godly mother looks like, what a godly wife looks like. There's no... Everybody in my church are first-generation Catholic converts. That means they never had a Christian parent or a Christian aunt or uncle. They don't know what it looks like. So our ministry is discipleship. It's shepherding souls. It's evangelizing, knowing that there's no gospel witness. We can say those terms all we want, but we live in a country that has no gospel witness. And so it just makes our job harder. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It doesn't mean it's it, it just it's a challenge. It's an, inner, it's an adventure in, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. It means our children go to school and their dad is the cult leader. It means that they're held with arms extended, you know, that means that they'll never have true friends in this world. People don't like them because they're foreigners and because their father is trying to destroy the fabric of their society and brainwash the children. The priest calls out their names, anybody who would dare visit our church in mass, when they have a mass, so that people will persecute that those people. Um, not too long ago, I was I, mean, I shared this story last night. Um, this is a good insight. The greatest evangelistic opportunities for us are weddings and funerals because that's when unbelievers will come and hear us. So when we have a wedding, that's an opportunity to preach the gospel. Funerals are very interesting. I'm known as a Baptist priest, and a funeral mass costs around $1,000, and we're a very depressed, financially, financially depressed country, highest taxes in the world. Sales tax is 28%. 56% importation on anything. We don't manufacture cars. 
So whatever price it is, add 56% of their evaluated price to that car. Very depressed. So if you want to bury somebody, you have to ask your aunts and uncles, your cousins, your grandparents, and everybody to pull the money to give the $1,000. Or you call me. We hear you're a Baptist priest and you have a free Mass. Yes, I give a free Mass. But that means I give the Mass. So whatever you think a Mass is, it's not going to be that. But I'll do it. So about seven, eight times a year, we get to bury people because our Mass is free. <laughs> so one woman passed away, and, and strange as strange can be, I shared it with the priest. He doesn't like me. He probably hates me. And uh, he didn't want to do it, but finally he, we talked him into doing it. And so he does all of his recitations and all that stuff at the beginning. Then we go to the graveside, and now it's going to be my turn to preach. And so we have our, they have their Catholic choir, then we have our Baptist choir singing. My wife's singing behind me, and as the choir's singing, you know, he's in his flowing purple robes, and uh, he leans over to me and says, there's no way I'm giving you this mic. This is not a chance. And uh, I said, well, look, you know, <laughs> we, we negotiated this. And then the guy who lost his mom comes over and says, you've got to give this guy the mic. Anyway, he gives me the mic, and I preach for 15, 20 minutes on John 3, new birth, salvation by faith alone, all these things. And then I closed it this way. You know, listen, we just want to thank you all for coming today, and on behalf of the family, I want to thank you all. And tonight, we have a service in our church, and you're all invited to come to our church. I'm going to preach from the Word of God, and we're going to sing, and we just would love to see you at our church. Boom! He pulls the mic from my hand, and he's shaking. Our shoulders are touching. He's visibly shaking. He's so angry. Now, what do you think he's mad about? Salvation by faith alone, new birth. What do you think he's mad about? Our church. Our church? There's only one church founded upon the Apostle Peter that, that, ha- that has the Holy Mass, that has the Holy Confession, that has the sacraments. Our church? This is no church. They're agents from hell. Have you seen any of them uh, say the prayers with us? Have you seen any of them cross themselves? Have you seen any of them in mass? This is no church. How dare, how dare this man use the term church? He is no church. Well, at that time we had a evangelistic Bible study in our home and everybody stopped coming. And, and um, the only thing I want to communicate is two things. Catholic Church is a Catholic Church. I don't care if it's in Tehachapi or Murusko Sredice in Croatia. It is a different Christ. And they're lost and going to hell. And it's a devious religion from Satan himself that damns souls to hell. And that's why we're over there. Because there's only 0.1% believers in that whole country. And they're lost in the darkness of financial depression a corrupt government, taxes that destroy any hope for a life, suicide rates are high, young people are drug addicts and alcoholics, pornography is everywhere, there is no morality. Bad is, I know every one of you would like to tell me how bad America is. There is still some morality. And I guarantee you, you know school teachers who are saved. And you know the guy that works at the convenience store that's saved. There is no morality. There is no gospel witness except for us. And that says nothing about us. It says about our God that saved us and sent us. And thank you that you sent us there. Because we are the only gospel witness. It sounds real dramatic. And it sounds, maybe even I'm boasting myself, but I'm not. 
I'm boasting in the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save souls. And that's why we're there. How much time do I have? No, but when am I supposed to finish? Okay. Because I haven't even got to the text. I'm just talking. All right. Um, so we have, maybe just to tell you what I do. We have a four-year Bible school. I'm a professor there. I teach six classes in the Bible school. I'm a pastor of a church, which I don't think is the best thing in the world. I, an American does not need to be a pastor of a Croatian church. But we're prayerfully hoping that within the next year, I'll move out and we have a guy to replace me, a Croatian. And that, I praise God for that. And then I want to move into another church that's, kind of, that's a model church, and we're going to try to start training people in the pews because there's just no biblical knowledge. You know, they... They think, they, well, they wouldn't even know that, but they would think that there's 13 chapters in the book of Daniel and the book of Maccabees is part of the whole Bible. And they, but they don't even have Bibles. So I'm even talking out of, away from their own knowledge. They don't even have Bibles. They've never heard the story of David and Goliath or, or anything like that. We need to teach them Bible knowledge. That's the next step in my life, to just give my life to church-based training on a pew level, if you understand what I'm talking about. I, I, I travel throughout the former Yugoslavia and, and speaking Croatian, I can, I can communicate in Montenegro and Serbia and Bosnia. And so we do seminars and conferences in all of these countries. And by God's grace, I'm invited to go to those places. Just to let you know, Montenegro, entire country, two churches, a Brethren Church and a Pentecostal Church in the entire country. In Bosnia, there's probably two or three, four maybe Bible-believing churches. Slovenia, two or three or four Bible-believing churches. The work is great. And so we're just trying to spread ourselves as thin as possible and still have a quality ministry. So we have the Bible school. We travel, do seminars and conferences. By God's grace, I'm now a faculty member in Berlin, Sicily, and Kiev, where I teach other guys' master's-level programs. And so God is using us. And, and again, it's to let you know this is what you're doing there through us. So thanks. It means a lot. Um, I just was talking to people at the break and, and we're talking about discouragement on the field because I wish I could tell you that 100 people were saved last year. We've had, what did I say, seven baptisms? I think it's seven baptisms in the last year and a half in our church. That is amazing because before that, we didn't had a baptism in six years. So I don't have big numbers for you and it's very hard. And every now and then people come to our church and and they're with us for a few years, and then they leave. They're with us for a few months, and they leave. And we think they're believers, and everything's fine. There's a lot of gypsies in Croatia. And, you know, I, I know it's not politically correct, but they live up to their reputation over there. They're, they're liars and thieves, and you can't trust them. And people in the church would say, oh, you can't have a ministry with gypsies in a white church because they're just there to rip you off. Well, we had one gypsy in our church. Imagine this. Eight years in our church. We trusted him like we trusted anybody. If I were to tell you anybody in our church was a Christian, Nedelko would be a Christian. He was a Christian. And we found out that for the last several years, he was doing some really bad things with his daughters, beating his wife. Now he's in prison. Man, you think, wow, really? Eight years of pouring yourself in a guy's life and this is it? You try to disciple and, and really nothing. And so you just sit around sometimes and you think, what am I supposed to do? But I'm not asking for your sympathy. Trust me. 
Because I said this in the first service, and I believe it with all my heart. If I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all the Lord on the mission field. I would study a hundred languages to do what I'm doing right now. Because I get to tell people about Jesus Christ in their language. I get to meet brothers and sisters in former Yugoslavia and have a relationship with them and, and arm in arm and side by side do the work of the gospel. I, I, I'm not sorry about anything. Excuse me, one moment. So I'm not asking for your sympathy. All I'm trying to do is give you a picture of discouragement. And the only reason I say that is because if you are active in the gospel ministry in Bear Valley or Tehachapi, if that's what you're doing, I know one thing that's true about your life. You're discouraged. And maybe you're at the point where you say, no, I've done it. I've done it long enough. I've done this 20 years and all I do is get opposition and rejection and dirt thrown in my face and I'm done. Or nobody wants to hear, why do I try? And we grow into this level of apathy or fear or discouragement. And you know what happens? We're paralyzed. And I'm telling you as a missionary, I fight that paralysis. I fight being stymied. Because you just think, man, I'm always in my other language. I'm always hoping I understand the culture well enough. Not just a language. Languages are not dictionaries. It's a living thing within a culture. And you're just praying that you're communicating correctly. And you're doing all this. And nothing seems to work. and, 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 And you fight paralysis. Don't want to wake up in the morning. I want to get in the fetal position in my bed and, and not move. So the question is, how do we move beyond that? How do you go out to your neighbors and tell them about Jesus Christ when you know they don't want to hear? How do you go and evangelize your family? Because if you're a believer, that's the passion of your heart. It may not look that way in your life, but that is the passion of your heart because we're saved to proclaim the goodness and great works of our God and Father to be salt and light. It's like being created to to be a human being and not living that way. You're created to be an evangelist. That's why you were created in Christ to do. And it may not look like it. How do you fight that barrier? How do I fight that barrier? Very briefly, very quickly. Let's look at Matthew 13, and I'm going to be brief. Matthew 13. This, I'm telling you, the disciples understood what we're talking about better than we understand. Can you imagine being a a disciple in first century Palestine, an apostle? (laughs) Chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, what did Jesus tell them? These wonderful words. The harvest is plentiful. And they believed him. They believed that what that meant is there's a plentiful harvest. (laughs) And then what happened? John the Baptist is in prison, doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah. The the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus. They persuade the entire Jewish nation that Jesus is a demoniac, possessed by Satan, empowered by Beelzebub. Wow, what a great thing to be an apostle in first century Palestine. They all, almost all, lost their lives. One of them betrayed Jesus Christ. They all scattered. Do you think they knew what discouragement was? Man, we found the Messiah, Nathaniel. We found the Messiah. He's here. They believe that Jesus is both God and the Messiah, and everybody is going to be thrilled to hear it, especially since Jesus said there's a plentiful harvest. Well, let's go. 
a plentiful harvest. Everybody's going to be thrilled with our message. No, you guys are all demoniacs. We want to kill you. How did they, what was the message that they needed to hear? How could they overcome the paralysis of fear in their lives? Well, I think one of the messages, and for me, truly, it's a living message in my heart, Matthew 13, which is a parable about the soils. Have you ever heard a sermon on the parable of the soils? Have you ever studied the passage? Raise your hand, seriously. Okay, that's what I would think. It's a fairly common passage, right? I have a feeling you all understand it. Okay? I have a feeling you do. Now let's just think for a minute. Let me read it. Matthew 13, 1 through 7. Just think with me through this, and then we're going to go quickly. Rejection is all around. Jesus is now accused by all of Israel of being satanic. That same day, and they want to kill him. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and the great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, and this is about the kingdom of God, right? A sower went out to sow. Perhaps a man was doing that in the surrounding fields as they're listening to this story. And he sowed some seeds, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky soil, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Does anybody here have a garden? Raise your hands. Has anybody in there ever had a garden? Okay, now I knew I'd get a better response there. Is this a surprise to you? Is this some earth-shattering news to you? Is this some amazing story to you? Seriously? No. We all know this, right? What's so special about this story? This is so common sense, common knowledge, that it might have even been boring to the people hearing it. They might have been seeing a guy do this. They've done it countless times in their lives. They've witnessed it countless times in their lives. He's told them nothing great. Huh. Yeah, basically what you told me is man had a garden. That was it. Here's my silly illustration to compare it, okay? Very silly. It'd be like me telling you this morning that I got up, I brushed my teeth, I brushed my hair. I took the keys to my car, I went out, unlocked the car, put them in the ignition, the car started, put it in reverse, backed out of the drive and went on. Now, is that a special story to you? Is that anything new to you? If you have any kind of concern for hygiene, you know that that's true. <laughs> if you have a license to drive, that, that means nothing to you. But then what if I said, then as I was driving down the road, the wings popped out and I started flying. Well, now it's a riddle. What's he talking about? Either the guy is off his rocker or it means something special. What is he telling me? Well, here's where the car flies in his story. Verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The car flies is basically what he says. Because a yield for somebody's field in those days, five, six, seven percent. Bumper crop, fantastic rains, great year, ten percent. It is miraculous, unheard of, 
the car is flying for him to say a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. Unheard of. This is the miracle. Now, what's he talking about? Now, a boring story has become an exciting, impossible riddle. What's the answer? So Jesus gives them because only Jesus, you know, he's speaking in parables to condemn the Jews and to, to put them down in judgment for the rejection of him. So he's not speaking clearly. This is an impossible riddle. Only God can give the answer. And it wasn't even exciting until he told the last part. The point of every parable is in the last few words. And here it is now. Now it's exciting. Now it's a riddle. What does it mean? we got to know. What's he talking about? A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirty. Nobody's ever heard of that. It's impossible. Here's the answer. Here's the point. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, now he's explaining it. The word of the kingdom is the seed. This is a picture, a, a, a true life story that has a spiritual principle. Spiritual principle is the seed is the gospel. So anytime somebody hears the gospel and does not understand it, the evil one comes, Satan comes, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. In other words, the heart that's hardened and beaten down by the sins of this world, the cares of this world, the materialism of this world, the, the care for self, the selfish pride, that hard heart, they don't even understand the gospel. And then Satan comes and takes the, the word from them and they can just live in bliss pursuing the vain pursuits of this world. That's the hard heart. Anybody know somebody with a hard heart? I do. That's what happens when we evangelize, right? Second type of person, second time of heart. The soil is the heart, the person that hears. Verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You know anybody like this? I do. Yeah, you know what? These are some of the people that are tired of Catholicism. Hey, we'll be a Baptist. They're not really invested in that. They don't believe the truth. They're just looking for something else. Maybe they like the singing. Maybe they like the people. Maybe they want to belong to a new club. They come and they receive it with joy and everything's happy. But it's just for a while because it's rocky. There's no root. They have no root. They're, not, they're, they're, they're unstable. And the minute any trouble comes in their lives, whether that's persecution or any other trouble, they're out of there. And that brings heartbreak to anybody's life, right? Somebody comes for a while, then they leave. But we've all seen it. There's another type of person. As for the what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, these are the people who love this world. Oh, they look like believers for a while, but, you know, it doesn't last. I just want to tell you, any kind of group, there's going to be people maybe even here today, that are one of these types of soil. Check yourself. Jesus always asked, where is your heart? Where is your heart? I'm asking you to look right now. Where is your heart? <coughs> what kind of soil do you have? Do you understand the word? Do you love the word? Are you the one who wants to throw seed? Or is this just a new club or whatever for you? you got to check your heart. Okay, up till now, have we all witnessed this in our lives? Have we seen these kinds of things in our lives? Really? Can I see any hands of anybody? All right. We've seen it, haven't we? This is nothing spectacular, is it? This is the, this is the disciples in the first century Palestine. This is the missionary in Croatia. And this is the person in this church living in Bear Valley or Tehachapi. 
Yeah, we've seen it. Hard hearts, shallow, rocky soil. Yeah, we see it. It breaks our hearts. This is the discouragement we live in. And as a missionary, this is what I fight all the time when I want to crawl into that fetal position and lay in bed all day. I'm telling you, the car flies. And this is the point in the last part. As for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is why I'm a missionary, because I know in found, in, in before the foundations of the earth, before God created time, before he created man, he knows his people and he loves them and he has elected them and they're here. The harvest is plentiful, but it takes preparation. It takes the throwing of the seed. So if I don't throw the seed in Croatia, who's going to do it? If if you don't throw the seed in Bear Valley, who's going to do it? If you don't tell the, the, the postal worker in Tehachapi about Christ, who's going to do it? Because we don't know where the hundredfold is. We don't know where the, the harvest is. We throw seed everywhere. And if you crawl up in a fetal position, metaphorically or literally, who's going to do it? So what? They're going to reject you. So what? Are you really that important? They don't want to hear your message. So what? We just sang. It's the name above all names. He is the king of heaven. We are calling people to worship the king. Endure some discouragement. Endure some hardship. Let your children grow up in a mission field without Butterfingers and Baby Ruths. It's not the end of the world. Okay, now I'm going to be really bold. We live as if we're so important. I have news for you. There's only one important person in this building today, and his name is Jesus Christ. You're not that important. Give your life for Christ. Go to the mission field. Live without Pop-Tarts and Levi's. You know, so what if you live your whole life without an earthly friend? So what? You have an eternal friend in Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with him. We have to remove ourselves from our own self-love and get out there and throw seed. And I think the only I think that the motivation is this parable. The car flies. The harvest is there. I hope that you agree with me. What if you send me to Croatia? And what if I'm there 30 years and at the end there are seven people that were saved? Did you waste your money? Did I waste my time? That's why I get out of bed in the morning. That's why I do what I do. Because we're not, we can't waste our time. The king deserves the worship. He is our God. And this is what we do. Why am I a missionary? Because the car flies. Because the harvest is plentiful. Because the, the God, Christ has guaranteed it. He will build his church. The harvest is there. It just needs the preparation. And I don't understand it, but God has chosen us. He's chosen me. A knucklehead from Texas. Apparently can tie his shoes. And he says, you get to tell the world the greatest message they'll ever hear. And you got to learn a language. You got to turn your back on your country. In a sense. You got to go live over there. Where do I sign up? That's it? And I get to tell everybody the greatest message of the world? Do you have that heart? 
Do you understand? This is it. There's nothing else. Yeah, you're paying five bucks a gallon. Taxes are bad. Obama's leading us down the wrong path. Who cares? We got the message. Let's put our focus where it needs to be. Let's be missionaries in Bear Valley. Let's be missionaries in Croatia. And let's never forget the harvest is plentiful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for every brother and sister here. Last thing I'm trying to do is be hard on anybody. I'm trying to be hard on myself. Help them understand I'm being gracious, but I'm being faithful to you as well. Give us hearts that want to throw seed. Protect us from ourselves. Help us to be egoless believers for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.